Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. I'm Gage Jordan, assistant pastor of Youth and Families at First Presbyterian Dyersburg in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Gage, it's good to be back with you. We've had a, a string of guests these last few uh, times. Two weeks ago, we had Chad Bird from 1517 talking about Jesus in the Old Testament. Last week, we had Gretchen Ronovic talking about her book, Ragged, Spiritual Disciplines for the Spiritually Exhausted. Great feedback from everybody on both of those, and as well as book giveaways on both of those. And we have got a guest as well today to talk about Jesus, in the to talk about Christ in the Old Testament, and to talk about worship. And so, Gage, will you introduce our guest for us? I will. I'm happy happy to do so. Good good buddy of mine, uh, college buddy of mine, Doctor Zeb Valentine. It's really weird to call you Doctor Zeb, <laughs> but uh, Doctor Zeb Valentine's here. Uh, he has actually uh, been a worship leader in Arkansas and Tennessee for many years, uh, and has led worship all over the country. He earned a bachelor's degree in biblical studies from Central Baptist College in Conway, Arkansas. Has a master of arts and a doctorate of worships. Uh, from Liberty University uh, in Lynchburg, Virginia. So Zeb's also a professor of worship at Bryan College in Dayton, Tennessee, uh, and Liberty University. Uh, he also is married uh, to Michelle and has three beautiful children. So Dr. Zeb, we're so excited to have you, man. Hey, thanks, man. And it's a little weird for me, too, to hear a college friend call me that because you knew me in college and knew how bad of a student I was. And um, I try to hide those days from my current students now. I, I hold them to a standard that I didn't live up to. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no joke. Hey, listen, they, they don't have to know. They don't no, they know. don't have to know. Do, yeah, do as I say, not as I do. That's right. <laughs> That's it. We're excited to have Zeb here. You know, Zeb's actually written several books, has a new book. Uh, out now that we'll do a giveaway on, you know, we're announcing the winner of uh, the Christ key today. So everybody be sure and check uh, social media for that. And we'll be giving away uh, Gretchen's book uh, starting next week. Um, and then also we'll give away Zeb's book after that. Uh, so Zeb, you got a new book out worship vitals. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, well, this, uh, I, uh, I always feel, say that I, I'm not, I don't feel like a real author. I just kind of had a couple of ideas in my heart and mind that I just had to put on paper. And um, I had started the book uh, a few years ago and uh, maybe wrote the first couple chapters and just kind of sat on it for a while. And um, when COVID happened, we all went home and went on lockdown and, um, binge watching Netflix. It felt like I had finished Netflix and watched everything that was on there. And I thought, well, I can either uh, continue to waste this time at home or I can be productive. And so that's when I, I decided uh, I'm going to kind of kick this into the next year. And I uh, took advantage of that, all that downtime and, and just hammered it out and finished the, finished the book. But um, I've always, 
I've always thought it, it it's a good and necessary thing to let the scriptures guide our our worship practices, and so that's really what this this book is about. It, it just kind of came from personal study and personal labors to kind of see what what the Bible has to say about Christian worship, and um, if we wanted a healthy worship culture, to, in spite of what musical style we may be, it's really not complicated. It's hard to implement. It's not complicated to find the answer. And uh, so that's what this book is about. And I, I keep thinking about, um, you know, when a doctor prescribes, um, you know, you to do something like, for example, um, there was a time of, I've had high blood pressure and the, the doctor would say, well, if you would diet and exercise, it's that simple. But it's, it's hard to implement. And I would rather just have the pill that would bring it down for me. You know, <laughs> yes, <laughs> most people, exactly. when they when they want a healthy worship culture, you know, the great physician is prescribing us a simple fix that's complicated to, to, um, to implement. Most of us just want the pill. You know, most of us just want, oh, well, we just need a fresh young worship leader or we just need this style <laughs> yes. of music or rather yes. than doing the the hard work that's uh simply and plainly laid out for us in scripture and so that's what this book is about it's just uh it's an attempt to kind of bring those things to the surface a little bit um add to the conversation of church health which um many people are writing and talking and focusing on about and uh, this is just kind of my way to bring my niche into that conversation. For sure. So for the reader that picks up uh, your, your book, as you, as they think through worship and through a healthy worship culture, did you, do you have a certain reader in mind or do you, what do you, what do you hope even for the reader to take away if they pick up the book? Right. Yeah. Um, for me, my writing style, um, I, I want to be as accessible as possible. Um, a little full disclosure. I did write this with, this being a textbook in mind um, for my students, um, because I figured if no one else will buy the book, I can at least make my students buy it. So <laughs> spoken like a true professor. That's right. So I, you know, I wanted to, uh, I wanted it to be robust enough to be used in a classroom, but also accessible enough for um, worship leaders, pastors, lay people, worship teams uh, to gather around and study this together. And so I, I really tried to have a broad scope um, as far as the audience goes, because um, for me, you know, I, I don't really think that I have a niche audience. I definitely don't have a niche following as a as a writer because I'm not a real one. And um, so I just I really kind of wanted this to be, um, you know, as, as appeal to a broad of, of audience that I can that I can make possible. So that, that was my uh, that was my thought behind the writing style. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I would actually argue, though, you you are a real writer because you've written two more books than I have because I've written no, <laughs> no books. So yeah. <laughs> since the fact that you even wrote a book is is one more book than I have. And so I think you are a writer, brother. That's that's awesome. You know, you know, we've been Scott, we've been in this series um, thinking about Jesus in the Old Testament and, and our overall point that we Scott and I try to make every every week um, is this idea that actually the gospel doesn't start in the new Testament, right? Jesus doesn't come on the scene and do 
something new. The church isn't doing something radical necessarily uh, as much as the the Bible is one story, 66 books, one focus. The focus is Jesus. Jesus is the hero. And especially in the Old Testament, you know, we exist in a culture, especially in the Bible Belt, especially in Southern evangelicalism, where it's it's dominated by this, this hermeneutic, this way to read the Bible called dispensationalism, right? Where there's typically in this, this thought process, this hard line that we try to divide between the Old Testament and the New Testament, where some guys will only preach New Testament, right? Or they'll call themselves a New Testament church, or um, we, you know, you'll, you'll hear them kind of draw a hard line between Israel and the church, uh, even, even today. Um, So even as we think about worship, chapter seven in your book, you talk about Christ-centered worship and you make the point at the, from the very beginning that, the Old Testament had worship practices. It had ways that were, were thinking uh, through, through worship. Were, were they different than, than the New Testament? Or was it all pointing to Jesus? Were they, did they have Christ in mind in, 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 in the Old Testament? Yeah, they were different on the surface, but they all had the same uh, purpose behind it. And that's the point, the worshiper their heart and mind towards the person and work of Jesus. You know, Christ-centered worship didn't uh, begin uh, after Jesus's ascension into heaven. It didn't begin um, at his birth in Bethlehem. Christ-centered worship began in the Old Testament. Every, um, as you guys have been discussing, everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus already. So the worship practices of the Old Testament point to Jesus. You know, they're they're painting this picture of the person of God's son, um, the, the object of our worship. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's something that's, that's always been in existence. Um, just most people have not connected those dots. So, of, of course, you know, the Israelites didn't connect those dots fully either. So, um, but, but yeah, it, it's always been present in the scriptures. Everything's pointing towards who Jesus is and what he's come to do. So for the, the average listener the the person in the in the pew that doesn't have a doctorate in worship or doesn't <laughs> hasn't gone to seminary or any of those things if they're reading their their bible and they're in the old testament and say they're doing their reading plan right and they're in the old testament where are they finding this where give me give me some examples of where you would see in the old testament hey this actually points to jesus Right. Yeah. Um, I think a, a, a helpful thing to do as we're reading the, the Old Testament, what helps us um, to interpret the Old Testament is the New Testament. For example, when we're reading in the Old Testament about the high priests, we can read in Hebrews where uh, the writer connects those dots for us, calling Jesus the great high priest. And we can see those parallels. We can see um, all of the ways uh, uh, they've been the in Leviticus. They were given um, prescribed uh, offerings and sacrifices. Those um, those images, those practices, they all pointed towards um, a coming Messiah. Um, we see even the temple furnishings and the tabernacle furnishings, uh, the the things that were in there. Those things uh, told the story of Jesus. Uh, one of my favorites uh, is um, the feasts that they observe. This is part of their liturgical calendar. Every year, that um, as they observe these these feasts and worship, 
that is telling the story of uh, of the coming Christ. And so, uh, having the New Testament, having the indwelling Holy Spirit, um, that empowers us to be able to uh, to clearly see these things uh, and clearly see Jesus in Old Testament worship practices. Yeah, I I, I appreciate what you said there, Zeb. That that the um, you mentioned the feasts as being part of their worship. That's a helpful thing for us to be reminded because in modern Christian evangelicalism today, we think worship is that first, in some churches, 30 minutes of the service. That's worship. There's the other stuff. There's the meeting and greeting as though worship is just this one sort of segmented thing. And so to, to remind people that these feasts or worship, that liturgy is worship as well. Talk a little bit about how Americans need to, uh, Americans in particular, uh, maybe this is a worldwide problem. I, I, you know, we can only best speak to those who are, who, um, who, who are in our own land, but, um, how, how do we need to have our understanding of what worship is sharpened or broadened? Yeah, I think uh, we need to have that sharpened and broadened because uh, worship is in everything we do. It's the ultimate purpose of all things. It's the ultimate purpose for um, for preaching. It's the ultimate purpose for discipleship. The ultimate purpose for um, for all things that we do. Um, one of these days, our preaching is going to cease. Our evangelism is going to cease, but worship of God will, will go on forever. And so um, one thing that I, I try to champion often is uh, I love non-musician worship theologians. Like right now, it kind of seems like uh, musical worship leaders kind of have the monopoly on uh, the speaking engagements or the the book writing or the podcasting um, as far as uh, that that discipline. And, um, I love hearing from non-musical worship theologians and I, I encourage more non-musicians to try to, uh, to strengthen them that a lot of times I've, I've seen, uh, uh, like senior pastors, for example, if they're, maybe they can't sing a tune at all and they, uh, maybe out of insecurity or, or, or what have you, they kind of leave the worship theology up to the music minister. Um, and that really should not be the case. Um, just uh, whether you're a musician or not is irrelevant. Um, we, we should all be um, thriving uh, worship theologians because worship is what we've been created for. It's what we've been called to. It's what we're going to spend an eternity doing. Uh, it's what we're spending every waking moment of the day doing already. Um, right. we are just by nature worshipers. And so we need to have an understanding of, of what that is beyond, uh, what music style we do on Sunday morning. And so, um, I think, and going back to your, your point with, with liturgy, you know, I, I have a Baptist background and I know you do as well, Gage. And, um, I am, um, uh, typically we, our background kind of, cringes at the word liturgy, but I've learned that everybody has a liturgy, whether you consider yourself a liturgical church. And honestly, I'm kind of in a place in my life now where I think the more that we can connect our practices to um, historical Christianity, the better. I mean, you know, I don't think it's really a great thing to kind of 
separate and be, I mean, even if you are an autonomous church, I mean, we're still connected to the, um, to the global church. Yeah. Um, all the churches in existence now, all the churches that have existed in the past. And I think the more that we can connect to historical roots, the better. Careful, brother. You're going you're gonna to end up becoming a Presbyterian. Man, this podcast is over with. Sometimes I feel like I'm just uh, a stiff breeze away from just tripping over the line and, and, and joining the club. You know, <laughs> come, come on in. The water's warm, but because it's very small, a bowl of water, not an entire uh, yeah. uh, uh, vat. So, uh, um, yeah. yeah, everybody, you said something, though. Uh, everybody is <clears throat> a worshiper, right? The, that's what Paul is getting at in the first part of Romans, is that the, everybody worships either the creator or created things, but there's no category of people who don't worship anything. We all right. are by our nature uh, worshipers. And and yeah, liturgy, everybody has a liturgy. If you took the word liturgy and you replaced it with the word outline or format, uh, nobody would object to that. But liturgy is is just that. It is just that sort of format or framework or outline that we structure our worship around. The mm-hmm. question is not, do you have a liturgy or not? The question is, do you have a liturgy that's thoughtful, gospel-centered, right. and that is helping communicate um, the gospel, even in its even in its structure and its format. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I had the opportunity the other night. We did an event after the the home football game in my my town, and we did a a worship service and had the opportunity to talk to the kids. And one of the things I talked to them about, I said, you know, a lot of you guys are wrestling with this idea of who am I, right? Whether it's what am I going to do when I graduate? What am I going to go to college? If I decide to go to college, where, where am I going? If I don't go to college, what does that mean about me as a person in a, in a society where we all push college really hard? Or if, if I go to tech school, what does that mean? Or what am I going to do when I grow up? Or who am, who am I in high school? Or even into the more cultural conversations of um, identity and gender and, and, and sexuality and all that. So you're always asking this question of who are you? And I said, what if I actually could tell you I have the answer to that? And I took them straight to shorter catechism question one. What's the chief end of man? Well, the reason you're here is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, which is a just another way of saying you're made to worship. And, 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 and in talking about that, we're all made to worship. We're all made for worship and glory. And you, you hinted at this earlier, Zeb, that uh, we're going to give or get worship and glory from something or someone all the time. And so anything not placed in Jesus is idolatry then. Uh, and and that, that sort of thing isn't being taught or said in most evangelical churches in America. Um, and even the idea of, and you talk about this in your book, the idea of when you worship having an excellency about you, having, having things in order, having things uh, well thought out and prepared when you come before God and worship. It, and this is not a new idea, right? The Old Testament, everything was kind of real, um, you know, some people read it and think, man, God was really cranky in the Old Testament. No, he wanted you to understand, like, you don't get to just come into my presence and do whatever you feel like. Yeah. And I think, and I think that's really important because even down to like that event we did, you know, in working with the band that was leading worship, I would say, okay, guys, on a practical level, 
how many verses are you doing of this song? How many times are you going to do the chorus? How many times are you going to repeat the bridge? Just common questions. And they were just like, I don't know, man, just like whatever the spirit leads. And I'm like, I I hear you and I want to respect that, but I'm also running the slides, bro. Can you just tell me (laughs) like, like, you know, what's going on? And you mentioned uh, some of this in your, I just want to touch on some highlights in, in, in the book. Uh, from chapter seven, I really appreciated. You said there are, there are many ways that a church can demonstrate unhealthy worship patterns through disorderly worship, even if it's not of the charismatic persuasion. And then we, you talked a little bit about that. And you said a general lack of excellence is often given a hall pass in many churches. I can't tell you how many worship gatherings I've been in where transitions between spots and general flow of service are largely ignored. And I've been in many worship services that are nothing short of disorganized, disorderly and chaotic. Um, and then you said, if, if our gatherings are not orderly, they're, then they are not intentional. I thought that was powerful. When, when we are not intentional, we become centered on other things. Our hearts are fickle and wayward. And if we lack it in intentionality and order, our hearts will drift to our idols. And when this happens individually, it won't take long for it to happen collectively. If we want a healthy worship culture, we must be Christ-centered. And we want if we want it to be Christ-centered, we must be orderly. And I, and I think that's huge, right? Mm-hmm. That that matters. You, you then in the next sentence, just one of the Presbyterian in me wants to point out, you made a, made an argument for, for singing the Psalms. And I, I really appreciated that. Um, but like, that that matters right then now we're just not having the conversation of okay yeah the cranky presbyterians want you to to be liturgical and orderly they want everything in decency and in order which is why what they mean is you're not going to raise your hands in worship and that's not what we're saying at all right, right. um what, what we are saying though and what what you're saying in the book i think we can agree on from the old testament to now that when we come before god in worship we need to have reverence for the one that we're worshiping. And when he wants you to worship him, he gets to dictate the terms because he's the one that made you and made everything else. Right. So he gets to call the shots on how worship is. Do you think understanding that would change the way people would read maybe Leviticus or the Psalms or numbers and think about worship? Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, it's uh we kind of write blank checks and sign the Holy Spirit's name on a lot of things. Oh, well, the Holy Spirit led me to do this. Well, did he? I mean, are you sure? Um, you know, like uh, I, I've heard, uh, you know, I've heard pastors kind of receive pushback from maybe something they said in their sermon that may be kind of iffy and uh, after enough times, so, uh, of hearing, well, the Holy Spirit led me to do this. When it came time for them to critique the worship leaders, they were they just thought, well, since we're all writing blank checks, the Holy Spirit led me to do that, do it that way. Right. Um, and to be honest, you know, we all know the scripture that you know says that the heart is deceitful above all things. We can't trust our heart. We can't. So to say, well, my heart's in the right place, or I'm just listening to the Spirit here, we have to be really careful about that because. Christ-centered worship, it does not happen by accident. And I would say it doesn't even happen naturally, even for the born-again Christian. Um, it's something that, you know, our hearts are always adrift. So we always have to be constantly reevaluating um, the content and the methods of our worship practices. We have to constantly put that up against the grid of Scripture. 
And, um, and I would say, listen to the spirit and listening to the spirit doesn't necessarily happen just in the moment of spontaneity. And uh, I've, uh, when people push back on that, I usually say, well, how much um, am I listening to the spirit in a little two to three second moment compared to how much I've been listening to the spirit all week long as I've been laboring and planning and revising a worship service, you know, and, um, which I think there's room for both, but to just claim spontaneity is the only way that you listen to the spirit, uh, I think is theologically flawed and practically could be dangerous, you know, because uh, we have enough moments of just going with the flow or, or what we think of is listening to the spirit. Eventually we're going to start doing some unbiblical stuff, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> the, the Holy spirit is not a parrot on my shoulder. That's what that's going, and giving me, right. giving me, telling me things to do in the moment. Um, and so rather the Holy spirit, we're being led by the spirit as we're see, singing these beautiful hymns. Like that is, yeah. the, that is the work of the spirit is the work of the spirit is to, is to point us to the efficacy and the sufficiency uh, of what, what Christ has done. Not, not as just this sort of, uh, um, um, sort of GPS moment by moment that's just directing me down every single path. And so people people do get really, really sloppy about how they talk about the spirit in a way that just the spirit doesn't present himself in 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 the scriptures. Right. Yeah. It, you know, when we talk about this idea of worship, especially those of us in the in the reform camp, um, when when we try to explain why we do the things that we do in thinking about worship and we talk about the regulative principle versus the normative principle, right? Like what, you know, are you, are we only going to do things that the scripture says, Hey, this is okay. This is allowed. These are the things we see in the text, or are we going to take the route of going as long as the scripture says we can't, you know, interpretive dance, let's, let's paint, let's, you know, do whatever, you know, have, have somebody you do, do whatever. Um, a lot of the times when I have this conversation, I'll take my students or I'll take somebody to uh, the story of Aaron's sons and this idea of strange fire. And it seems like a really um, graphic and almost alarming and traumatic story because you're like, really? Like they were just making a sacrifice and then they got lit on fire right like um and you're like man is that is that a thing or is that just like god needed a xanax or like what's what's going on there but the the principle and the and the heart there is you don't get to just walk in and do whatever yeah right and and i think that's um like you said we do we really do draw a a blank check around holy spirit approval because you can't argue with it, right? It's like in college when we went to CBC and somebody told, you know, the people were dating and someone wanted to break up with the other person. So they said, well, I think Jesus is telling me to break up. What if Jesus is telling me we should get married? I mean, like, how how do you, how do you, how do you argue that, that, that conversation, right? It's just, it's a weird checkmate mate to, to play. But like, I think passages like Leviticus 10 matter in this conversation because we exist in a culture um, where anything is possible. And really even the lyrics that we're singing, Mm -hmm. oftentimes it's focused on me. Yeah. How I feel, 
where I'm at. There's, I, you know, I make this joke. There's an overabundance of of water references. I don't know what our obsession <laughs> with water references are, right? But there's yeah. there's storms and tides and waves and hurricanes and oceans. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, um, it's, it's the yeah. new fire. You know, in the '90s, all the songs reference fire for some reason. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, that's yes, but it, but it. I think that matters because if we're singing songs about me and you're hearing messages about me, then I can do whatever I want to in worship, right? Whether it's I can not engage with the church and just me and my Jesus calling at home on the couch with my favorite preacher on, on YouTube, mm-hmm. or I can sing all these, these songs about me and hear a message about me. And then everything needs to be about me. I'm waiting to hear the Lord to affirm, affirm what I want to do in my life anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I don't want to do it, then it's not my, it's not the season for that or, or whatever the case may be. Um, how do you think having um, a proper understanding of what we're doing in worship maybe changes some of that? Yeah. Um, well, I think having a deeper understanding of uh, biblical worship uh, just would uh, tend to lend itself to kind of drifting away from the me-centeredness of of our worship and and focus more on Christ. When we, I mean, we're, if we're in the Word, pursuing these things, we're trying to find some guidance towards uh, how God wants our scripture or our, our worship to be um, structured and, and implemented. I mean, God's going to tune our hearts to want the things He wants. And, he, and God wants to worship to be centered on him and not us. I mean, we are a part of that. We were not the object of worship. Um, so, I mean, I think there, there needs to be, um, a whole lot of, um, um, consideration and maybe even repentance in our worship practices. I'm not even talking about specifically the current generation. I mean, any of the problems that we see today are just uh, the fruition of problems that existed in generations before us, you know? And so, I mean, I think every, every living demographic right now needs to um, take a hard look at our, the content of our worship and the practices of our worship. And, and maybe even when it's necessary, uh, have some hard repentance and uh, refocus our heart back on Christ and make, make him the center of our, of our worship gatherings. Uh, Zeb, t- talk, talk to us. When you, you use the term me centered worship, uh, tell our listeners what you mean when you say me centered worship. Yeah. Well, I think that could uh, flesh its way out in a lot of, a lot of ways. Um, if you are the hero of the song that you're singing, if you're the hero of the sermon, you know, mm-hmm. if the sermon is on David and Goliath and it's the, crescendo is how you're going to go into work Monday morning and slay those giants hmm. and get that promotion. Amen. Um, Preach it. And um, I think uh, sometimes we can uh, use church as a platform to be self-serving. Like, well, I want my granddaughter to perform so everybody can see how awesome my granddaughter is. And so I want her up on stage to sing that song or um, I even mentioned in my book, and I hope this doesn't offend some listeners, but, um, a huge problem that I, I see as a problem for my particular, um, 
persuasion that I come from is a patriotic worship. I mean, you know, that if that's not people centered, I don't, I don't know what is. And, you know, where, where do we see in scripture that we're supposed to include that as a centerpiece for our, (laughs) for our worship gatherings, you know? um, So lots, lots of ways. And, and they're sinister too. And when you start mentioning them, people get um, upset, which further kind of um, solidifies in my mind that they might be idols. You know, when you start prodding idols, then people get upset, you know. And so, yeah, those are some uh, some examples that I can think of as uh, typical culprits for me centered worship. Yeah, I think I think that's really helpful because uh, a number a number of tribes would would obviously push back against uh, maybe, uh, hymns that, that extol, um, uh, a, a works righteousness or a man centered theology, yet they would be totally fine with patriotic songs, which are just hymns mm-hmm. sung to the state, right? Yeah, Where, right. And, and nowhere in scripture do we see the church gathering to celebrate the state. Right. Uh, and right. so we, we run our church doesn't have an American flag in it. Um, and, and the reason for that is, is the reason for that is not because we don't love America. The reason is because that's not what we gather on the Lord's day to yeah. celebrate there's, right. there, there are seasons and times and days in our civic life where we celebrate for that. But rather when we gather on the Lord's day, there is neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free. Uh, American nor Russian nor Canadian, right? Yeah. You might read into that, but but yeah. all are one in Christ. And so, uh, one writer says that the 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 flags in the church is just a doubling down on Babel, right? A doubling down yeah. on the on on that. The thing that you said in your book that I thought was really helpful is trade the Hallmark calendar for the liturgical calendar. Talk about that, if you would. Yeah. Um, again, I, I kind of use my experience and upbringing and kind of worship circles as kind of, uh, that's how I, I see the world, you know? And so um, I know from my experience, any kind of talk about using a liturgical calendar or the Christian calendar, it's been kind of brushed off as uh, that's what the Catholics do, or uh, that's, you know, something like that. And, but, you know, going back to a point I made earlier, um, we all have a liturgy. We all have a calendar. You know, it's just uh, rather than celebrating, um, you know, Passover, you know, you have a regular beat in your worship gathering where we center around Mother's Day, you know, like, so uh, we have a Mother's Day uh, service, we have a uh, high school graduation service, we'll have a 4th of July service, we'll have, you know, it's just so on and so on. And um, the Christian calendar, the liturgical calendar is meant to be Christ-centered, mm-hmm. you know, the Hallmark calendar is not. And hey, I mean, yep. we all love mothers. We're all here because of mothers. But if we make a, a whole t- service centered around that, who did we exalt? Who did we worship? Yep. You know, yep. Um, yep, for sure. Yeah. yeah you know, a lot of uh, a lot of people lost their minds on, at least on my Twitter feed um, it, yesterday, the day before yesterday. I can't can't remember where the president uh, referenced Isaiah 6 in his argument for military 
um, engagement in Afghanistan and they lost their minds about it. Right. Uh, and a lot of, a lot of them were conservatives that were like, see, look, you know, the Democrat president messed up too, but like, there's a history of that, right. Whether it's Biden, whether it's Trump, whether it's Reagan all the way back talking about how America was, was the, the shining city on, on a hill. Um, there's this weird, culture phenomenon especially in the south especially in evangelicalism where we really have like you said we have exchanged the 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 church and our practices and our traditions and and our our rhythms of worship for this weird hallmark calendar or the or you know even right up to i even had i start to kind of cringe and i and i did it every single summer growing up in vacation bible school but the pledge of allegiance to the christian flag like that even that that sort of thing drives me crazy um now and it's because of this unhealthy understanding of America's place in the Bible. Uh, but, you know, as, as we wrap up, there's a, there's a section here in chapter seven. I wanted, wanted kind of to end with um, that I thought was super appropriate. And of course, um, and it, you quoted, you ended that chapter by quoting a Presbyterian. So I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> Brian, Brian Chapel said, uh, Christian worship is a re presentation of the gospel by our worship. We extol embrace and share the story of the progress of the gospel in our lives. Any, any worship practice that fails to accomplish this must be done away with. You must turn from the things that aren't Jesus focused and cling to the things that are worship is all about Christ and anything else is idolatry. I think that's a good place to end. That's a a powerful statement. And that's kind of the big takeaway we wanted uh, Dr. Zeb, thank you so much. Everybody go get Worship Vitals. You can get it on Amazon and other places. We'll put a link in the show notes and, and do a giveaway here in the next couple of weeks. Um, Zeb, any any final thought? Um, well, thank you guys for, for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, as far as uh, closing thoughts on Christ-centered worship, um, you know, our our worship will either be centered on Christ or it'll be centered on something else, you know, and um, to be... Uh, Christ-centered, we have to we have to fight for it. We have to we have to pursue it. We have to say no to some things. We have to be willing to take some shots and make some people angry along the way. But um, if we're not if our worship's not centered on the person work of Jesus, then what are we gathering for on Sunday? You know, Amen. all of the Amen. other stuff I, I can get anywhere else, any time of the week. You know, we gather on Sunday morning uh, to celebrate the risen Lord together with our brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for, for your time, Zeb. And, and, and as always, if, if this topic in particular interests you, we would also direct you to our, our other buddies at uh, the Society of Reform Podcast. Uh, they are, um, there's a plethora of different podcasts that we're part of and get to, get to team up with them on it. And there, there is a ton of episodes that they, it, several of the podcasts have done on worship. We would encourage you guys to, to check that out. You can, find the rss feed anywhere you listen to podcasts or you can visit form podcasts with an s uh, dot com and and as well if you have any questions for for zeb or worship or anything in this episode um that jumped out at you that you wanted maybe talk more about or or get more information feel free to reach out to us you can hit us up on facebook instagram or twitter or you can always uh, email us at contact at assurance of pardon.com and until next time this is assurance of pardon God bless.